0: Combination of gearheads, John the instigator, Derek the conservative, Will the builder, Sean the racer, and maybe a guest. Invite you to listen while we sit down, have a drink, and discuss cars. More subscribe to the podcast with no driving gloves. Time now for the ride. Got a full house tonight, kind of an exciting night. Bringing another guest on, and uh, got Will and Derek on the other ends of the line. How are you guys doing tonight, Derek and Will?
1: I'm doing great, John. Uh, it's... Always fun to be here and finally got Will back on the show. So, maybe it'll actually be a, a fun night.
2: It's good to be uh good to be back. I mean, I was here not long ago. I mean, dang, Derek, what, are you throwing me under the bus or something? Kind of a busy guy here, you know. You no, know,
1: I'm I'm busy too, but I find I find the time to be here for the show. Well, I got a that's, that's commitment a,
2: a run of full-time hot rod shop with 11 employees and recording a full-time TV show. I mean, got a family, four dogs. Man, I'm just busted my balls here.
0: Slave driver Derek, there, you know, running his little museum and
2: <laughs>
0: whatever else.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, running a, a little little kids. tiny museum in nowhere and raising two foster kids that are two years, two under two years old, and got the farm. Hey, you
2: chose and- that. You should have. You should have done it earlier. You you chose everything
1: that you're...
0: You guys just need to be like me.
2: I'm bitching about making money, and you're bitching about spending money.
1: John just sits around doing nothing, so...
0: (laughs) Pretty much. I've just been sitting here since late this morning. I finished all the work I had to do and just been waiting to get to this interview. We'll go ahead and...
1: Then he he started texting me and Will, "Uh, are you guys going to show up? Like, John, it's noon.
0: (laughs) Hey, Well, I guess... uh, I get a little of that boss from you, Derek. I've learned from the best. We've got an interesting guest tonight. I uh, met this gentleman maybe four years ago. Five, well, no, let's see here. It's got to be five or six years ago because I've been away from Barber's for two years, and I met him at Barber's, and I think that was three years, maybe four years before I left Barber's. So it's been a while. We talk occasionally over text. He asks me some promotional advice, and well, just whatever we want to uh, kind of just casual casual friendship, just but the gentleman we've got tonight is uh, George Sedlak. He's kind of known for doing a couple of things really special and unique and kind of amazing that uh, we cross paths actually in a car world with a car event from what his history is. In this small world that I live in, and the older I get, the smaller it gets, you know, George is older than me and I'm older than the other two guys here and they'll learn how small the world gets. But ironically, George actually attended the same high school my dad did. He's two years younger than my dad and four years younger than my aunt, who also attended the same uh, high school in the Quad City. So I'm thinking at some point my dad and him have crossed paths a little bit. But George, welcome to the show.
3: Well, thank you very much, John. Good to be here.
0: George, I want to go back a little bit. Before we get to kind of what you're known for, what did you do as a kid and in high school and that that led you up to? George is actually, we'll, we'll just let it in. He's an artist, and he does some spectacular paintings and has created some legendary paint jobs. And this is from painting motorcycles all the way up to gorgeous canvases and stuff, uh, which is where he's at now in his career. But were you always an artist? Were you one of those kids that drew and everything in fifth and sixth grade? Or is this something you found after high school? Or how did that come about?
3: Uh, I guess everybody who is an artist uh, is an artist. (laughs) And it's just what they do with it and whether they, they take the time to develop it When I was little, I just remember the first thing was real little, kind of a silly thing, but I made a a clay elephant. And uh, my teacher, I remember her bragging in front of the students that my mom had an open house about it. And I was kind of embarrassed and said, oh, I must be an artist, you know. Yeah, and my mother was uh, very talented as an artist. She could illustrate really fast. Uh, like the women uh, in fashion magazines. Before, I'd say before the 60s, it was all hand-drawn and then washes of watercolor instead of photographs. And they're like mock-ups, but that's what the magazines had, maybe even later. And, uh, and I remember asking her, how come you uh, didn't make a living doing that, Mom? And she, well, she was a single mom with two kids. She was grew up in France during the uh, German occupation. And so she said, my, my youth was pretty much kind of messed up there and I didn't get a chance to develop it. That was where it was at and then myself, I, I just, I would draw cartoons for my friends in school and they, they enjoyed them, it was fun and I, I would try to do artwork and stuff for for the girls and, and kept doing that and then I, um, later on in high school, my, my first year of my high school, everybody had muscle cars back in the, those years, the, uh, the, the late 69 on up and I had a Volkswagen Beetle, but it was custom painted, but they had all these cars, and I would do a painting and knock them out of these guys' cars for my weekend money, and they're pretty bad, but I, I did over 535 for my first year going to a junior college, and then I quit, because I just got busy. I started working for a sign painter, and that was back in the days when sign painters used the brush, developed some you know, skills there, and I was doing pinstriping, and so, you know, that's what I did, and then I am always like doing the canvas.
0: i say, I'll, I'll cut you off a little bit, because I'm going to go back to bring my dad into this, that, you know, like I said, you both went to the same high school. You graduated in what, 70, 71-ish? Or? 71. 71. He graduated in 68. You said everybody had muscle cars. No, he actually drove a International Harvester Red, because... Uncle, well, actually, his dad and his uncle worked for International Harvester, a Volkswagen Beetle convertible. So, there were there were a couple of you guys at a, that school, I guess, that were into the Beatles, and he still talks about that to this day. And I, I kind of yep. look. He had a '60 Beetle convertible, and it's amazing how hard it is for me and paying attention to find a '60 Volkswagen Beetle convertible. I found plenty of '59s and '61s, but. I think over the years, I've only come across like three 1960s.
3: Mine wasn't a convertible. I wish it would have been. that was a 60. I bought it from a friend's dad. I had to customize it, so I put a lace paint job on it with a couple of friends and my, I, I did some lettering for a, um, a, a lot of parts store here in town that was really cool. It had all the old school stuff. You could buy blowers for your car. You could buy any parts. and He had all the waft decals and he had the knobs from the 50s for the, like, the shifter and the steering wheel, all kinds of stuff like that. And he had me do paintings and put them on the walls of different race cars of that era from the drag strip days. And so I got parts from my VW in trade that I wish I would have listened to some of my friends. and said, oh, no, make it stock. You know. <laughs> Years later, I went to a, a classic car show for the uh, American Auto Club. And here was a 60 Beetle like mine, but it was all restored like brand new the red interior. And I said, oh, man, <laughs> I'd love to own that. You know, and the price tag was crazy. But, you know, I kind of made a mess of mine. I hopped the engine up. But it was fun. You know, and it was what you did back then.
0: Hey, we, we've all done that. We've all done things to cars and went back and regretted it when we see what happens to them 30 and 40 years later. But that's what probably made some of those or some of those things more valuable now is because some of us modified them early on, but Will's a master of oh, yeah. modification and cutting
3: up cars. And I was lowering a, um, a truck back in the days with sign painting brush and it was at the city garage and over in the corner was an old Harley police server car three wheeler quad car and some other file cabinets and things. And I said, what is all that over there? And the guy said, Oh, we're going to have an auction this weekend. And I said, is that three wheeler going to be in there? And, yeah, why don't you, uh, if you want to bid on it. So I did. And I got it. It had all the original stuff. They kept the red lenses from the the two extra lights on it. They had red, they took, but they left the siren on. And I made a chopper out of it. I had one friend tell me to keep it stock. And years later, I was up at the Harlow-Davidson Museum, and Jim Fricky gave me a tour. Uh, they had the, uh, the True Evil Day up there, and I was invited up and he gave me a tour, and I saw them um, restoring one Harley three-wheeler police bike from the Milwaukee police, and I said, I had one just like that, you know, and I made a chopper out of it, and he laughed. He said, yeah, that's why we have so much trouble restoring these, because, like you said, you know, people chop them, and <laughs> and the parts are different. I mean, they're, they're missing, and, and today I wish I would have kept it.
0: I was going to say the, the Barber Museum has— one of those too. They have a couple of the Harley Servicar type things. Finding parts for those police bikes, it's really impossible because a lot of them just got destroyed or stripped when they were sold. And,
3: and a lot of the hot rodders took the um, the box, the seal box on the back, and made it a trailer, like a cooler and stuff, were put behind their hot rod. Well, was yeah, that I see those? Was that
0: Servicar your first motorcycle, or how did you get into the uh, the, the <laughs> motorcycle world?
3: Oh, I had a Honda 90 that I went worked for a sign painter, and I, I had that to get back and forth, you know, you know on a nice day. And then I, uh, I, yeah, the three-wheeler was my first one. And I'll tell you a funny story. I, I, I was riding my Honda 90, and I had a raincoat that looked like Artie Johnson from Laughing. Remember that? Years ago. You're probably not old enough. Uh, and, just uh, barely. It was, it was a, a fisherman's raincoat from, you know, the big hat. And I'm at an intersection on this little Honda. And these kids go by and they like there, and I'm standing there and it's drizzling and they're laughing at me at <laughs> my bike and stuff. The next day was gorgeous. It was Friday and my boss said they were gonna have a short day, and so I just took my three-wheel chopper and it had uh, 12-inch slick, 10-inch slicks, I'm sorry, and it had Krieger mags and they slicks and it had a front end stuck way out or chrome, you know, extended front end and uh, it was candy apple and it was just completely custom. And I'm sitting there and it's made a lot of noise with straight pipes and. Same kid saw me at the intersection and they go, oh how cool was that? And I said come here. You remember that guy with that little bike you last time last, yesterday? And, yeah, he goes that was me you little punk. <laughs> Get away from you know. And from then on they would wave at me no matter what I rode. You know, three Wheeler was my first one. And then um, I uh, I helped a guy drywall a garage and there was a bike in there and it was a small frame and a tire. And I asked him what kind of bicycle that was in the garage. He goes no oh, it's a motorcycle. It's a Harley. And I argued with them. I thought I knew what I was talking about says no, it's called a Harley Electric, and later it was called a Hummer. It was 1948, and uh, I got it from him, and it didn't have all the parts, and and it led into uh, me meeting somebody very famous because I had to go find parts, and I was told to go to Raymond's Harley-Davidson, 60 miles away.
0: I was going to ask you about uh, Roger Raymond because he was in I'm going to say Kewanee Illinois, and here we go with me and interjecting myself into a story. My mother grew up just outside of Kewanee, Illinois, in a little town called Annawan. <laughs> and okay, so, yeah. So you know, Annawan, you know, Kewanee, to me, is always basically the same place. And then I was going to... be
3: sure the same police car.
0: <laughs> I was going to ask how how you came across meeting Roger, but
3: that's obviously it. Tell everybody, I was a real mouthy kid back then. And I, you know, once in a while, I'd get sucker punched, and I'd wonder, why are you not going to hit me? You know, my friends. I can't believe you said that to him. You know, and some type of slap, you know, from girls, because I just say whatever. Well, I went there looking for Hank Reifman, and That was Roger's dad because I heard that he was a hill climb champion in the forties on a Hummer and a forty-seven Bucklehead. And sure enough, he and he had all these old parts and still in the box, and he got so excited. And I went there with like ten guys in a mini in a, in a, in a van. Roger came out and he was talking to a couple of the guys I was with and one guy's a respected machinist. He made the parts for my bikes and, and Roger worked with him and he saw me talking to his dad and here he got this long hair and a full man shoe and I'm in my twenties and you know, and nobody really gave much attention to his dad at that age So he kinda of liked that. Roger said, Hey you to me and to the the machinist he says, You two, come on back with me. I'm busy back here in my room and so we went back and he made the other guy stay out front. And Hank, he, he was all excited because he said, I'll help you with it, you know, and he did. He helped me run wiring and stuff, and he gave me these parts for almost nothing. He couldn't get them anywhere. I didn't know. I go into this room. He calls this race room, and he, he, at the time, he sponsored a young guy, Mike Kate. He was, he was National 28, and he worked on his bikes in there, but there were three bikes, and I was new to this stuff, so I didn't know what an XR was. I, I knew it looked like a sports shoe, but it looked different, and um, my mouth... Did something good, it, it, you know, got me in trouble that day, but it also made something good happen. I was looking at the bike and I, the paint job uh, at that time. I was doing like I did on acrylic paintings uh, on canvas, using a brush. And so, I was doing paintings of okay guys' cars. But one of my friends, uh, his name was Dave Washburn, and uh, he, he was a bike and alongside with me. But he was more more into it than me, and I learned from him at that time. He asked me if I could paint the gas tank with the same paint. We clear coat. it. So he had a comic book with the uh, God of Thunder Thor, and we painted it on there, and he shot it with, back in those days, it was acrylic lacquer or the Brits it cellulose lacquer. <laughs> it just swinkled right up. And I was bummed, you know, but, you know, it was young. I could do a double. And he said, well, next day he called and said, hey, I'm going to sand this down. Can you do it again? He gets an idea of what will work. And so, yeah, sure. And I did. And he put the clear over it. I'll get back to the Roger story in a second. And he um, cleared it real dry, and then he wet sanded it after a couple coats. It was like shark skin. And finally, he built up, and then he wet sanded, and then he buffed it out. And I was just amazed. And I'm still amazed when I clear coat artwork. I'm gonna think how oh, that clear makes that color just look so deep. You know, it just it, it's really beautiful. Uh, anybody that does that with a clear, and especially today's clears. I thought that was cool because all of a sudden the, the word got out, and I was doing this artwork. On bikes, and I was doing all kinds of guys' bikes like that, you know, art. But it was all hand-brushed at that time. So I saw Rod, uh, Evil's bike and his first bikes, if you ever see uh, some of the movies and stuff, they were white and it was hand-brushed. And actually the sign painter that lived next door to the heart of the dealership, Mr. Brown, I believe, was, they were not Brown, I'm sorry, forgot, but he was a friend of uh, Hank Raymond's and Roger, he hand-lettered him. So when I said something derogatory about the paint job looking pretty crummy, Roger didn't appreciate it. He said, well, Pumpkin, you do better. You know, and then before I could answer, he took this tank that Evil had cracked and stuck it in my chest. He said, won't you uh, fix that, paint it, and let me see what you can do. So, okay, well, Evil was in the office talking to the secretary. I said, okay, I'll call him tomorrow." And so the next day I called him, and I said, well, Evil, what do you want? You know, what do you want on this? And he directed me saying I want it red, white, and blue, and uh, I want Harley-Davidson in block letters big on the side. And my sponsor is Olympia Beer, and I left my name in gold. And then he called me back. He said, make sure you put Color Me Lucky on there. Like a smart aleck. I said, what in the world is that supposed to be? You know, he said, that's what I want on there, you know, Bubba. <laughs> and we had conversations like that all the time where he'd kind of go off, you know. And then he started laughing. That's where it started.
0: We just kind of jumped into it. And that's kind of what George did for a few years uh i know he painted other bikes and that but he's actually excuse me if i embellish too much but you basically painted all of evil's bikes and all of evil's helmets through his kind of professional career because you insulted the paint job that was on his bike or his his bikes that were at rogers that one day
3: yes yeah and th- there were whites and uh, you know rather just plain and And I I just thought I was, you know, God's gift to the uh, motorcycle paint world, but (laughs) it started there. And Roger was uh, a grand national champion. He had won at Daytona in 65. And so everybody in the motorcycle world knew who he was. I found out from Evil when we were sitting there talking one night, and I said, you know, when did you get this stuff started to do this? And he said that he started jumping like two pickup trucks, and he'd go to rodeos in Southern California, and there was a pack of bikers there, and it was before doctors and lawyers bought harley Davison's. These these guys worked on their own stuff, and Harleys were a lot rougher motorcycles, you know. And uh, and they had triumphs, and so he walked up to these guys and asked, he goes, "Hey, who's the biggest name in motorcycles and racing, you know, today?" And they all said, "Oh, Roger Reeman," you know. It would be like saying, you know, Scott Parker, you know, or um, or Jared Meese today. He he called Harley-Davidson. And he got Roger's number and he called and asked Roger, "I'm going to be doing some jumps here in Southern Cal. Would you, uh, could I pay you to sign autographs?" And Roger said, "I just will happen to be racing there at that same period of time." I said, "Yeah, I'll do that." Evil was a bigger promoter than he was anything else. Crazy daredevil, but he, you know, as a promoter, he really knew how to do that. And so he, he uh, had, you know, ads. And and the media and all sorts of media and stuff. And so the next time he did the jump, there was a bunch of motorcycle people from all over the Bay Area and, and uh, Southern Cal coming to see him, but you know, come to see Roger actually, but they saw Evil Knievel, you know, and some of the local media saw Evil Knievel. And then it started.
0: So that's kind of, I guess, the fairly in depth story of how your career started, even how Evil's career started, just uh, because I've always known, you know, i known him for the jumps, and I'm of that age group, and never had. I'm one of the few kids. I had all, a lot of toys in my youth, but I never had the evil Knievel stunt set where you could pull pull the ripcord and let the motorcycle jump things. Everybody definitely in my age group. I don't know uh, Will and Derek. Maybe they're too young to know the full evil Knievel thing. And I even think I watched the. Uh, I want to say, unfortunately, the Caesar's Palace jump. Um, I don't oh, think uh... I. I don't think I saw the Grand Canyon. Quote jump, but um, I do remember I do remember Caesar's Palace, and I don't know if it was Caesar's because
3: Caesar's Palace is is what. Uh, not to interrupt, it's just if you, you you saw that you were shocked, you know, and you didn't think he'd live through it, but it put him on the map worldwide. From that, just watching it makes you cringe. He, you know, like a like a rag doll bouncing down off that ramp?
0: I'm going to ask, and it it gets off the topic a little bit of you, but maybe you have to maybe you have to be nice about it. But let's I want to ask you a little bit about evil, because I'd met evil right before he passed away. You know, he was a very sore, fragile man and kind of rough around the edges, we'll say. How was evil in the kind of the that heyday when he was, you know, know, the thing, the the man on a motorcycle? Was he uh, was he a partier? Was he fun to be around or was he really always serious or?
3: No, he was not only serious, he was a partier, and he was quite a character, and when he was older, you know, we would talk a lot, and he was a different type of a person, and I, I dealt with the daredevil, and I, I talked with him, I was blessed enough to be able to talk to him when he was older, and he put up with me, but he went through hell, you know, he busted his body up like most people would never do and still lived he was and he knew he was very famous uh he had this attitude when, when he was younger and he talked to me i gave him reasons to either knock me out and shoot me or hang up on me you know <laughs> and only once did i get him cuss me out you know but other than that he was he was good to me and i know he's taking his cane and hitting people <laughs> like you know media people because they kicked him off and uh but he was good to me and i we, we had a good, good time talking together, and um, at one time, he, he should have um, gotten really mad. I, I walked in on him when he was with uh, Frank Gifford and the ABC crew right before the Kings Island jump, his last major jump over the Cranham buses. And he was in the restaurant, and I just kind of pushed the uh, young uh, guy at the door, don't letting people in. I just said, you don't know who I am. <laughs> and I went in there with my girlfriend, who's not my, not my wife, interrupted them, and the ABC crew wasn't very happy to see me that I could tell the expression, you know, that they were trying to get things done before the jump. And here's this punk coming in, you know, and talking to him. and he will he was gracious and he said hi to us and he said, Okay, well why don't you guys meet us at the bar over there later and we'll be done. Like, okay. And uh, I told my wife about that, we were talking about it uh, just a few years ago and she said, Uh, he was looking to me all the time, he wasn't even looking at you. <laughs> <laughs> but he was definitely, you know, the partier and uh, I, I know some other people that were with him and, He'd be in um, somewhere in Vegas and he, he was real good at he'd be talking and enjoying people and all of a sudden go, gotta go! And he'd leave. I asked him about that and he told me that, uh, you know, well you gotta you gotta be different. You know, you just can't sit and be one of the guys. So he had his own way. And then I, I noticed when we were sitting there talking people would come up, he'd go from being this normal guy to being evil again, you know, with, with this whole different charisma. I just
0: jumped back and, uh, so, you know, Derek and Will, you've kind of been quiet. I don't know. Is is evil too? Are you guys too young for evil? Do you know evil, or <laughs> I don't know what the. A-
2: when I was growing up, he was pretty much done. Uh, I think I remember his last jump, and then Robbie started. You know, trying to do some of you know that stuff. I'm a big Evil Knievel fan. I always have been, always will be, but. I guess I'm just a little too young to be around when, when it was in his heyday. And I think I've probably seen every single one of his jumps on YouTube. But, you know, it wasn't. it's not the same as seeing it live because, you know, you've heard the stories. You know what happens. So
3: sure.
2: now I have a Hiya. really good friend of mine. I've got a, a really good friend of mine that is uh, crazy about evil Knievel. Uh, matter of fact, uh, he goes by the evil midget. I don't know if you may know him or not, uh, Mike Cook. Um, Mike Cook. He's uh used to be a daredevil. daredevil yep, evil midget. Yeah. Mike Cook. Does yeah. that
3: name yeah. ring, ring a bell? Yeah. yeah. Yes, it does.
2: Okay. He's a uh, he's a he's a dear friend of mine.
3: There are um, a lot of people that I've uh, been blessed to, um, you know, that like your friend Cook that that are just crazy about evil will, will, and they'll they'll send me emails and texts and stuff and they'll ask questions and you know, when I have time, you know, I I make a note to try to get back with them. Because here's here's the thing. Uh I had one guy, yeah, he's he's a banker in Chicago, quite successful. And he was a kid uh at the Jump in the, the amphitheater in Chicago and he was like eight years old and evil jumped and I was there and I had my little Richard which was my that Humber that uh, Hank Raven helped me build in the show. It was a big show. It was a fun time, and he jumped jump. I think he'd go he jumped Friday Friday night, and then he jumped Saturday twice, and then Sunday he jumped and indoor. This this kid saw him, and he, when he was a grown man. My friend, I told you about Washburn, he was in Chicago at a big bike uh, swap meet, and he met this guy. And he started telling him about that story, and he said, I'm going to have a bike painted like Evil's. I have an artist girl, a lady, and she's going to paint the artwork. And I have a sign painter's going to do all the lettering, and a custom painter to... He Because well, you don't need to do that because my friend painted Evil's bike. He goes, no, you know, he was one of those fans that did it, and I told Evil about it, and Evil he was really kind, of really surprised. You know, there's so many guys, but I'll tell you a funny story, and I'll interrupt just for a minute because I do that a lot. I got hired to go to four different cities to the, um, the National Motorcycle Show, I think it was called. And I was with a display booth from um, the National Motorcycle Museum in Anamosa um, with Mark Madurski and John Parnum.
0: Yep, know them.
3: Yes, good people. Um, they had an evil replica bike. I didn't paint it, but they had one there. And, and the deal was I got to have some of my canvas paintings on the, on display but they had a big blow-up of evil walking, the famous one where he's got, you guys have seen that with the cape. He looks like he's got an attitude, he's got the helmet, and he's walking at you. Well, that big thing there, and then people saw that from across the room, and they come walking over, to, and they see the bike, and they see this goofy-looking artist standing there with had an evil smoking jacket on. You know, and it was a pretty cool jacket, and then they took it away from me. <laughs> it's in the museum. They come up, and man start cranking with their hands. That was a symbol now that I realized an international symbol, that when I was a kid, I had that evil Knievel toilet you cranked up and then shot the Daredevil off the ramp. They would all have stories like that. Uh, one of them told me that um uh, grade school, principal let them close school at the end of the last period and had everybody outside. And he had 10 garbage cans and he filled them with paper and his buddy lit them on fire and he jumped in with his Stingray bicycle. <laughs> he was a hero. And one guy told me that he um, he jumped over seven of his buddies, and he landed on the last one, and he's messed up the guy's um, kidney. And he's still his best friend to this, to this day. And another one told me uh, that he is, oh, and I'm telling you international, there were two guys, two brothers from Scandinavia, and they came up to me with that same symbol. And, they started, and everybody showed me their scars, broken collarbones, broken arms, the wrist, you know. And they would tell me how uh, the mothers hated Evel Knievel. And Evel used to write, um, when he was a daredevil, he used to call me up at night. And so only time he would really talk. And he'd read me letters from mothers. You S.O.B. You shouldn't be allowed to be on television. My son saw you today. And now he broke his arm. You know, and one mother sent him the bill for a broken leg. And then he, he told me, he goes, hey, I got some more letters. And he started reading them. And we're laughing he opened one up, he goes, whoa, this one sent me a picture of herself. She's nice looking, you know. And uh, he wrote one lady a check for the doctor, Bill. But I was saying that I did tons of guys from all four cities, I mean, at four cities, they all had stories about that. And the last one told me, oh, yeah, I jumped over 18 motorcycles on my bicycle. I said, no, you didn't. He yeah, I did. My brother had a BSA, and he pulled me with a rope. And he said, but the worst part about it was my front wheel fell off my stink when I was in the air. And, and his brother said, show him the scars. <laughs> he pulled his shirt up, pulled his pants halfway down. He had big scars. And his mother did hate Evel Knievel. But yeah, when the, they're all young kids back then that I was lucky enough to be in my 20s. You know?
0: I think he, in, he inspired a little bit of, I wasn't that mischievous. Definitely not a BMX guy like today. But I had a... A swing Phantom Stingray, and it w- it was blue, and you know, of course, you get the red, white, and blue from factory Schwinn colors. And yeah, I sure. I would try to jump things and do some of that stuff too. So a lot of the reason I am to what I am today is because of television, and, and I guess e- even Evil played a little bit of part in that. And
3: but you you guys the um, just were talking about when you were young and Evil was almost finished in his career. And you saw Robbie, you know Robbie. Was pretty amazing as a a daredevil, and very talented, you know. And but he had a different kind of bike, you know.
0: Say, Robbie's bikes had suspensions and things like that. It's kind of like when Travis Pastrana does things today, you know. The bikes are completely different and engineered completely different. You know, they they weren't weren't the uh, kind of things Evil Road.
3: (laughs) Absolutely, You you know. I didn't tell you this part yet. In the very beginning. There were three XR 750 Harleys. That's what Evil Jump was inside of Roger's room. He was changing them over and putting the new aluminum engines in them. I said, "What are you going to do with the other ones?" You know, and I made a deal and I got one of them. And I wasn't bright enough to get the frame. I didn't get the frame, but my two other friends got the whole bikes themselves. I fixed mine up on the on the street, but I had a Sportster, a '69 Sportster frame that I chrome. And I uh, thought that was cooler. And I rode on the street. And one night, uh, I was coming. It was like 2 in the morning. I'm just flying down this street behind the high school, coming on the corner. And I see this car coming in me. And the car behind it lit up the silhouette. And it was a police car. And So I took a left turn, turned off my light. And it was going along, I don't know, 35, 40. And I hit a dip in the road that I couldn't see was there because it was dark. And that was pretty stupid, really. I was off the ground and, and I didn't realize it. And my bike, all of a sudden, it was a real smooth ride. You know, like, Hawkins? All of a sudden, boom! And I realized I was up in the air, you know, and I landed. So I, I got home, and the next day I called Evil about 10.30 at night, and I told him what happened. He just started laughing. He said, hey, man, you know, leave that to me. You paint, you know, you're going to kill yourself. That XR, my back hurt for two days. You know, you talk about the suspension. There wasn't any suspension. Like, I had a Suzuki trial bike, and I could go over logs with that. And it was a whole different. So Robbie did have that, but I'm, I'm telling you, I saw him jump several times. I was there. No, he was all talent to do what he did, and plenty of guys that rode those kind of bikes, like a Honda, Elsborn, and they did not make the jump. And there's plenty of jumps where he didn't make, it. he missed the ramp completely once, and the, the wind blew him off, but he was quite a talented guy.
0: I'm sure we could sit here. For the entire episode and multiple episodes and tell evil can stories, but George yourself, yes. I mean, you you personally, you know, kind of impressed me when I met you. We, you know, like I said early on in this show that we met at a car event at, at barbers. We seemed to hit it off, and we, like I said, we've had a friendship over the years. Yes. While evil's kinda of your claim to fame and you you know, I think you've even told me you're you're kind of aware of it that we've got to talk about him to get to you. Your art career now and some of the paintings you're doing are amazing and I kinda of wanna talk about that. And I know when Derek was researching you, he he commented to me that, you know, he's got some questions about why you're doing stuff and I'll let Derek answer because it's all it's been all you and me through the most of this, but
3: Derek. I would welcome <laughs> I would I'll, I'll welcome those questions even more so. <laughs> now you're doing these
0: canvas paintings, and I can't pronounce the G word. Glis-
3: prints or <laughs> you know, Jim, had, Jim, Jim, Jim and I, we, we had a hard time with it at the beginning. Ago. It's French, and I believe it means uh, spray. And it's a, a Giclee. A Giclee. Uh, the, 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 the act of spraying. And uh, it's done with a process... Very much like an inkjet, but a lot more, you know, sophisticated and a lot more in the different ink product. That's what it is. And in the old world uh, of the old days of doing art, I'm sure you guys have some pretty nice art prints of cars that were done years ago. You It was a lithograph where the artist had to pay to have hundreds done, and you never really knew if you were going to sell that whole edition or not. And with um, the G Clay, artists can have one done, you know and it's called an artist proof result. I'll have one done, you know, and to see if people like it, you know, and sometimes I, if I don't sell them, I, I give them to some people that I owe some good favors to and, uh, or you want to put them there for people to see it. What I do is, uh, acrylic, you know, art on canvas. And I've done some large stuff, like my largest piece is five foot. And it's a, it's a 34 scout, you know, with a lot of detail and, I have a problem. I, I vacillate between two different styles. I go with a really close detail, with, and I use the airbrush with some. I'm not a total airbrush artist. I'm more of a hand brush, but I started out years ago doing a lot of airbrush. But I use the airbrush, you know, a tool that does effects that look different than I can get with a brush. I try to make it look like you can't tell it's been airbrushed. You know, people like that style, but then I do a, another style I, I call pretty loose with a lot of color. You know, the the color that wouldn't actually be there, but it's it's a pretty popular um look. I enjoy I enjoy doing that too. And one reason is that that style is faster than the detail style. The detail style, uh we can put many hours into it. Sometimes you don't want to get something done quicker and move on. You know, you, you get going and you get inspired and, and then all sometimes you gotta put it away, put it to the side and work on other stuff and then go back to it and you say, Oh man, you know, I can't do this, but yeah, that's what I really love doing. I'm doing uh, a lot of a lot of car stuff. I've done some recent motorcycle race things with the Indian Racing Team, uh, and I have a um, one of my favorite pieces is a Harley. It's a it's a 47 um, Knucklehead that I I have the canvas original, and I have uh, some other ones of older Indians, such as the Indian Wrecking Crew from the 50s with the late Bill Timmer and Bobby Hill, uh, uh, Ernie Beckman.
1: I am amazed and, and just impressed with your work, George. And I don't know, it actually kicked me out for a while and then I, I came back in. So I missed a little bit of what you said, but I was kind of curious what what inspired you to paint some of the, the various paintings you've done. I mean the the Miller at Brickyard, you know, the Cleveland Roadster and some of these that I'm seeing on your website. I mean, is it just your passion for everything automotive and and the motorcycle racing ones you do—I mean—is it just pure passion? And 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 I guess I'm I'm kind of leading the witness here, if you will, into a, a bigger question I have about one of your pieces.
3: Well, the hot rod, the uh, the roaster one. I when I was a kid, I lived in the uh, Bay Area in California, and I was I was a young kid and I didn't drive, but my my neighbors had hot rods and they built hot rods and they were pretty. Pretty high-end, cool hot rods, and it was California. And uh, I get to ride with them, and sometimes they took me to school, you know. And, and the neighbors, my kids uh, would be like jealous. And I just loved. Them. I used to like to sit around when they're working on them, and you know. And then as I got older in high school, you know, I didn't have the money to um, to build something like that and have it, but my friends did, and we hung out in garages instead of sitting on the computer all day, you know. <laughs> and we did that, and we painted, and uh, yeah, and then so. For me, I got the paint uh, artwork of what I loved, and then I found these guys in school that liked a painting of their 69 Chevelle and their Dodge Dart and their you know Cobra Mustangs and things like that. And then I'd be watching ABC Wild World of Sports, and I fell in love with a guy named Jim Clark. You know, I see him racing on his Lotus race car, and, and I was doing paintings that weren't very good back then in junior high of him doing that. That started that. And then you asked about the Miller race cars. Well, there was a gentleman in our town who's now retired, but he actually restored those cars for collectors from all over the nation, maybe the world. And he had some beautiful pieces. And and he got a hold of me to do the gold leaf lettering and reproduce the hand lettering. Even the decals from the the American Auto Club and the Sparkplex, that were no longer available. I hand-painted all that, and it really had a ball. But I learned about the history of the cars because he knew that, and his father grew up with it. I started to do, you know, I took a lot of photographs of the cars and started doing paintings of them and, and re- researching. I got He let me borrow some of the uh, collectible books he had on them because we had to use the books for reference, and they were all black and white photos. We had to try to figure out what the colors were. That got me really excited about that.
1: Okay, so you so you touched on the one that I was I jokingly said I was leading the the witness here, Jim Clark, the Clark in at Indy sixty five. Um, the reason I'm so interested in that, I saw that when doing research. Uh, is i I actually in in my past life in a, a previous uh, a part of this museum career i 'm in uh, I worked at Henry Ford Museum, and the very last project I did there as the conservation specialist for the transportation collections was led the project to return jim clark 's type thirty eight lotus to the track uh, for the Indy anniversaries, and we ran it at the uh, Goodwood Festival of Speed over in England. Uh, so that car has become kind of, as as I call it in my career, one of my babies. And uh, you know, I was just as we were, you know, getting ready for the show and and doing the research. I saw that painting. And I just was, you know, blown away. And just because I have such a a close connection to that car, although obviously I'm too young to have been around when that car was racing or when Jim was racing, uh, but yeah, you know, getting the hands-on experience with that car and and caring for it while I was there, um, you know, it just it it really hit home. And you know, I found it very interesting that you know you you've gone from kind of the evil knievel days and stories to you know the motorcycles and all of a sudden there's this you know the one indie car kind of that is is shown on your artwork is you know jim clark's car and it just really kind of kind of hit me so
3: oh that's cool that's cool I, like i said before the motorcycles i was a jim clark fan and i just remember watching him in the racing and listening to what was being said, and, you know, we didn't have the cable back then, you know, and we didn't have the, uh, the oh, you know, I meant to say the internet, you know, so any car and driver running track, I subscribed to that, and I would read anything I could on it, <laughs> you know, and uh, but it was so cool, and I remember seeing the, um, a race where they, entered, and they interviewed Colin, uh, Colin the, uh, the guy who designed the, the Lotus, and they asked him about that, and he was telling Jim Clark, he Jim came up to him, and he was a very humble, you know, farmer, <laughs> and he said, well, why are they driving so slow, <laughs> Colin Chapman, and he <laughs> called and said, it's not that they drive so slow, it's you drive so damn fast, you know, and I thought, oh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I, 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 that was a hook, you know, and actually, it's silly, but I, I, was, a, you know, I was a kid, and when he died, I was heartbroken. and and uh, in the rain, that crash, and I sent my painting that I did of him to uh, one of those magazines and said, "Please forward this to his his family," you know. And I, I never heard anything about it. You know, probably somebody just took and laughed, you know. But, but yeah, I, I, and, and someday I had a chance to start doing paintings like that, you know, and it just came to me that I should. And, and you and I happened to have the same good interest. And when you were gracious enough to walk me around all that display at the barber, and here was this, you know, uh, Dan Gurney car and and, oh, and I'm doing a painting of part of that car, and I haven't I haven't finished it yet. And just part of that that, that motor and stuff that really intrigued me. You were, you were nice, and uh, you showed me a lot. We had a great time that day, and it was very impressive. Then you took us to lunch, too. That's right.
0: <laughs> I really enjoyed that. And, you know, of course, you know, I, I remember you liking the Dan Gurney car, which, of course, is the—I remember— if I do my math right, the Lotus sixty three, uh, that, that that you know Yeah, yeah you, you, you were drawn to the Dan Gurney car and you know Gurney's got his own legend too and it I say that that's that's my favorite yeah. point in racing. Now, I'm probably gonna have to bug you in a day or two to talk a little bit about the Miller Indy cars and that and if that gentleman's still around, I might have to have you introduce me to him next time I'm in your neighborhood.
3: Get a hold of him and see if he uh he's still doing that, you know, and uh He, he, oh, he was, uh, about him, he was amazing, because some of these cars, you know, they had been wrecked, and and there was one, it was a front-wheel drive Miller, and the owner, the person that wanted it, already had commissioned him to restore a a Curtis Craft car from the 50s, and also um, another Miller. He said he had got wind that this car was in a barn somewhere in this part of England, so he flew him over there, and he gave him a bunch of cash. and He said, I want you to go to the pub and start talking about it. <laughs> and the guy actually found the guy and said, oh, I know where that's at. And it was, uh, my, my friend's grandfather, you know, had it in his, turned out. He took him up to this, hiking through the fields to a 16th century stone building, and his car was covered with, you know, bird stuff and the roof. And the thatch was laying on. They got the car. But the guy uh, that I'm telling you about, my local guy, he had to make the carburetor, and he made the spindles, and he, he would go to the, um, the casting place that would, you know, cast, like, even bronzes and things, and he had it all made, you know, and the, the one uh, miller he did, he made the grill, it looks like a knight in shining armor, but he nickel-plated everything because that's how they did it back then, and they were just like jewels, These these things. He, he, he started praising my art and said, you know, you're more of an artist than I am, because you're creating this piece of art, this car. It's just so... They, they, when They were beautiful when they were built, but to make them the way he could, and the bodies are aluminum, and he had to make the back end, you know, um, it comes to a point on these, great, these builders. If you look them up, you'll see what I'm talking about, people listening. He made it all by hand. He didn't use body putty, he, you know, and he shaped it, he shaped the body. So he was a master craftsman where he not only would put things together, but he would make the parts, and he would also form the aluminum or the steel body. And I was blown away by that, you know, and all I was doing was gold leafing. We did argue because he was a cranky guy. <laughs> he goes, look at this dust in the clear on this gold leaf. because you're in here running that bridgeport machine while I'm trying to do this. <laughs> Get out of here, you know. So I kicked him out of his own garage, you know. <laughs> But that stopped the dust for quite a bit. But yeah, I understand why you're following that. I, I think I was born too late. I wish I would have been born earlier to see that.
0: I think a lot of us, especially those of us that really are into history, especially I say Derek and I, a little bit, and possibly even Will, the way he does his hot rods and that. I think he might have been like to be like to have been a rack around in the the fifties when they were doing things with SoCal Speed Shop and Moon Eyes and all of that. But I think we we all oh, yeah. we he, all he want to ca- kind of up. want to do that pre ten years ten years earlier thing just just to be around and maybe that's our parents' influence on us or what we realize as adults we could have done if we were adults back when we were six and eight years old and
3: such. Um, but oh yeah, <laughs> I'll, t- I'll tell you the, the, the hot rod. you like this story. Um, I think he would. My, my sister was dating the president of a hot rock club in San Francisco. He had a 56 Ford Victoria and was had the California rake jacked up in the front of this straight axle. And he had these velocity stacks coming out of the engine. And he didn't have a hood cause <laughs> you know, it w- wouldn't work, but he would come over and pick her up and then the little bratty brother had to go along. We go to the junkyard and he would be digging out parts and had me hold it. while he took a torch and cut something off another car you know, it wasn't all made, you know, with a computer like it is today. You just don't go order a part. You had to do it. And it was so cool to be around that as a kid. And, get to ride, you know, some of his fellow car club guys that were making hot rods. And a lot of these guys had, you know, the big open wheels, you know, roadsters and stuff. It was a time, but I was a kid. But it was still, my eyes, it was like I came, you know, was digging it. Just cool stuff.
0: Well, I'm going to, we, we've had you, you know, I always say a- About fifty minutes, and we've had you a little over that for this conversation today. Does Will or Derek? Do you have anything else we want to ask George or talk to him about before we kind of close out? Or
1: I mean, Um, I I I think the only thing I have to say is uh, don't or you know uh, don't be surprised when you see a order come through for one of those Jim Clark paintings because I'm probably going to be ordering one. I, I. To this day, I still collect anything uh, related to the Type 38 and Jim Clark's uh, running at at the Indy 500 there in 65. And uh, I have a a nice little collection of stuff. And I'm thinking one of those uh, pieces are going to be added to that collection, George.
3: I would love that. And uh, I'd also like to see a photo of your your collection. I, I, I really enjoy seeing something like that.
0: Great. And say Derek brought it up, and I want to want to go there before we definitely you know say our goodbyes and stuff tonight. He's talking about ordering one of your pieces. I'll have to say it's crossed my mind. You and I have had talks about where where we where where you should put your pieces. For those listening, in that if they want to see some of your artwork and you know possibly order you, your stuff, ranges from you, you do prints for I can't remember a couple hundred bucks all the way up to originals for multi thousands of dollars. And I assume you can even be commissioned if any of our listeners go that way.
3: Yes. yes. Where,
0: where do we find you? Where do we see your stuff? Where?
3: Well, on my website um, would be com.
0: And that's, uh, George is typical, and Sedlak is S-E-D-L-A-K for anybody who's yes. spelling challenged yep. like I am sometimes. You, you notice that?
3: S-E-D-L-A-K. It... Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I had that issue you know i'm easy to find i think on the internet if you type in evil Keep evil and then my name but it'll something will pop up and lead you to the and i'm also on facebook at george said like art uh, studio and there's a lot of photos of different events like you know when i was with you at uh, barber and i got the honor of um uh, not only doing that but we set a canvas up on an easel while a race was going on with the crowd and and just you know we played it like i was doing the painting and i was painting part of it but it was fun. I can't. Re-
0: I can't yes. remember what painting you were doing either. It always. I always want to go back to. It It was one of the Jim Clark ones, but I don't
3: know if it was. Well, or... you'll have to. You'll have to go <laughs> to the um, Facebook page and look <laughs> for it. You'll. I, I, I guarantee you, you'll like it though, because it's, we talked about it. But you'll like it. But I had a great time there. And you were gracious, and you, you introduced me to a lot of really cool people. And and Mr. Barber, he really blew me away. He he came over to me, and he knew I was like that Dan Journey car, and he, he said, George, come here. And he had you take a photo of me and he, he, he and I standing in front of the car. I was, I was impressed. I would say the, the
0: two Georges there, I guess. But
3: yeah, Mr. Yeah.
0: Barber's always been that great, courteous guy. And I'm going to say, you know, ne- next time you're through the Bowling Green area, you probably should look up Derek, too. And he'll he'll probably spend just as much time with you as I did, unless he's actually working and sh- showing around some of the some of the Corvettes and that, that I'm sure had some influence on you back in the, you know, late 60s and high school. Oh, so
3: you know, I worked <laughs> Derek, Do you, do you remember Eckler Corvette?
1: Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Very well. It
3: was a I worked there one summer. The Ecklers started out five blocks away from my house now in his garage, Bob Eckler and his brother. And then they moved to Milan, another town nearby, and they had a shop there, and all my friends worked there. And I was working for a sign painter, and um, he laid me off during the winter because hand painting signs outside was kind of a slow thing. I was with a friend working there, and he said, Hey, you know what? We're moving to Florida. Why don't you come work for us and help us move and spend the whole winter done? And I did. And (laughs) I hated fiberglass. You know that stuff itches all (laughs) over your body? (laughs) But I learned. I
0: didn't realize Eckler's was out of. You know, the Quad City area, and I actually lived in Milan for two years when I was one to three years old, <laughs> so way a long time ago. Fond memories, fond and, memories. Um, and I uh, there was, in Chillicothe, Illinois, when I grew up in Peoria, there was an Eckler Widebody, and I've always wanted an Eckler Widebody sitting at Jerry's Corvette's for years and years and years. <laughs> and... So, oh, yeah, yeah I'm going say Eckler, Eckler Corvettes have something. And I think if I ever go back and get a C3, I really would like to find an Eckler wide body. And, and, and there, there you go. That's destroying the original originality. And you know how Corvette people are with originality, but, um, but. Yeah. Well, but well, see, been...
1: I'm, I'm probably one of the weird ones. I kind of like the Eckler, uh, I don't remember the exact name they gave it, but basically the the slant back or the fast back kind of uh, hatched look rear end they gave them.
3: It, it was one, and people did say stuff like that. You know, why are you doing that to a Corvette? Uh, when I was a kid, because you guys, I'm old, okay? And I remember I had a friend that worked at the Ford dealership. He washed the cars. And every year in September, I'd make sure I'd go down there and see the new models, because young people today would not understand that they changed the models, the bodies, drastically. And so, across the street was the Chevy dealer. And here was this young guy standing there with his white socks and his blue jeans with his pants cuffed up, you know, and, and combing his hair. And he's, he's all excited, and I went over and started talking to him, and here was a red stingray rolling off the trailer. And it was his, you know, and he gave me a ride in it, <laughs> you know. And he he didn't live very far from me, but I was just drooling over that car, you know, the, the, back in those days, you know, it's cool stuff. And I don't talk too much? You know that?
0: Like I say, we <laughs> could we could talk forever. And now that we would slide over to Eckler's, I could talk for a while, and I'm sure Derek would have some interjections with Ecklers and Greenwood and all those guys. But we'll go ahead and maybe save that for another time. <laughs> and uh, sure. next time I'm up there. Visiting my grandmother, and that I might try to reach out to you, George, and at least swing by and say hi. Or um, I'm not sure. Not sure okay. the next time I'm going to make a motorcycle event since I'm not with barbers. But you know, maybe hit the Blackhawk Swap Meet, which I know you go to, or whatever that's called over there uh, in the Quad City.
3: Same thing. So yeah, and I know. Yeah, uh, I, I remember that's the last time we saw each other. I think it?
0: that was probably the last time I saw each other, which been.
3: I'm sorry, you guys, that I talked so much and you guys didn't get a word in edgewise, or. Well, our listeners
0: get that—that's what makes a good show. Our (laughs) listeners get to listen to us every week. We can get on here and and babble any time, and that's why when I do an interview, I kind of let people roll with it because you know they might get a little. You might not. I I get. What do I want to say? It's better that they don't have to listen to us because, like I just did, I can't talk. So, (laughs) but we appreciate you spending the spending an hour with us tonight, George. Uh, look forward to making a uh, reminding Derek about uh, ordering his painting. If all and if our listeners want to, like he said, georgesedlack.com or find him on Facebook at georgesedlackstudio. Check out some of his work. He, he's really an amazing artist and very diverse in uh, his subject matter as long as it's uh, transportation related. With that, I'm going to say good night and everybody have fun. All right. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, George. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening, and remember to look us up at NoDrivingGloves.com. There you can find back episodes, links to products we recommend, and links to all of our social media. Be sure to tell a friend about us. No Driving Gloves is edited and produced by JVS
1: Productions.